go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to continue our series through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, chapter 14 is where we're going to be at today. We're going to start slowing down in our study through 1 Samuel a little bit, uh, not taking full chapters at a time and, and sort of uh, breaking down some of this as the narrative begin, continues to unfold. If, if you're new to redemption, this is part of who we are. We just go through books of the Bible. It's just part of the DNA of who we are. Typically speaking, we're going to travel in an expository fashion. That's what that's the what the word is, expository preaching. Just means we expose what the Bible says. So we're going to read it. We're going to we're going to say what it says, and uh, that's that's our main uh, main goal there. So First Samuel chapter fourteen verses one through twenty three is where we're going to be spending our time together. Now, before we jump in, one of the big concepts that you and I have to grasp about the Bible as a whole is that when God wants to do a work, he accomplishes it through people. Have you noticed that to be true? Like when you're reading through the Bible, God picks people. He uses people. It's generally true not only in the Bible, but it's just true in our day to day that when God wants to do a work, when God wants to move forward, when God wants to accomplish something, he does it through people. That's the way that God works. Now, God is going to, he does work at times in crazy supernatural ways. God himself will intervene at times. We see in the Bible where a Christophany in the Old Testament happens. Jesus uh, shows up in the Old Testament or, uh, you know, he shows up in a vision with somebody or God sends an angel to go do something. God does those things, but those are rare occurrences. Those don't happen very often. So if you are like, man, I haven't seen an angel deliver a message to God, then you're, you're in the, the 99% category, okay? This just doesn't happen very often, even in the Bible, okay? So most of the time, God uses people. He's gonna use nature, he'll use circumstances, but these are rare occasions. God will nearly always use people and it, it, because it's his preference and it's his design. This is just the way God wants to use, or to, to work, to use people. And, and here's the truth. Not only does God generally want to use people, but God wants to use you. God wants to use your life. He wants to use my life to accomplish his will. So our big idea today as we look at uh, 1 Samuel 14 verses 1 through 23 is this, that faith in God brings about the victories of God. Do you want to experience the victories of God in your life? I sure hope you do. I hope that that's on your mind. I, I actually, my gut tells me you do. You know how I know? You're sitting here, right? Like you're in the room or you're watching online or you're watching at some later date. The reason you're even thinking about this, the reason that you're even giving time to this is because you want God's will in your life. And if you want to experience God's victories in your life, it's going to happen through the vehicle of faith. That's how God is going to accomplish it. So let's read 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 23 with that thought in mind, and then we'll go back through and break it down, all right? We're gonna read all of the verses, and then we'll break them down together. It says this, now it happened, 1 Samuel 14, 1, now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that's on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. Uh, the people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, and Ichabod's brother, uh, the, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest uh, in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by, uh, by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The name of one was Bozes and the name of the other, Senna. In front, the, verse 5, the front, one, uh, the front of one faced northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to his young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised, that we, uh, it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go, uh, go then, here am I with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we shall show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we shall stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hands, and this will be a sign to us. Verse 11. 
So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look at the Hebrews coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the, the men of the garrison called Jonathan and his armor bearer, called, called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp and in the field and among the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchman of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked and there was the multitude melting away and, and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul uh, talked with the priests that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went out, uh, they went to battle and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was, a, and there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines uh, before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, as we read it, as we consider it, as we contemplate it, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. God, help us to see the work that you're doing. Help us to see the things that you're accomplishing and to join you in that work. God, give us the faith, give us the courage to, to uh, follow hard after you, to do the things that seem impossible, that other people would look at it and say there's no hope for that, but you're calling us into it and that we would follow you faithfully. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you this morning. We commit this time to you. We pray that you'd be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 through 23, we're going to break it down together today in three parts. The first part, verses 1 through 7, a con con conscious faith, verses 8 through 15, a courageous faith, and then verses 16 through 23, a contagious faith. Now, we talked before that God wants to use people and that he's looking to use people, and he's looking to use you, and he's looking to use me. Here's the thing. The kind of people that God uses have some things in common, such as the people that God uses. Typically, the people that God uses have humility, that they're a humble kind of person, or that they are holy people, that they're set apart to the things of the Lord. But I would say that a major component of the people that God uses are people of faith, that those who trust in the Lord in faith. Now, faith is not simply being willing to jump into the unknown, to do crazy stuff. You ever hear people say, just have faith, and what they mean is, do the crazy thing. Uh, that's not necessarily the idea of faith. It's, it's not the willingness to jump into the unknown. It's the willingness to trust a known God with an uncertain future. Here's how Warren Wearsby uh, says it in his commentary, Be Successful. He says, action without promises is presumption, not faith. But when you have God's promises, you can go forward with confidence. When we just try to move forward and forge ahead and jump into something on the presumption of faith without first having the promise of God, we're presuming that God's going to accomplish it for us. That's not necessarily faith. That might actually be foolishness. That might actually be a very bad decision. And, and then when you bear the consequences of it, then you say, well, faith didn't work. No, faith worked perfectly. You just tried to shove God into your thing, and he didn't play that game. He, he wasn't willing to come with you, all right? Uh, it's, it's like this. A uh, couple of years before my wife and family and I, my wife, our four girls and I, we planted the church. Uh, back in 2014, we started as a home Bible study. Two years before that, 
uh, we had been praying about planting the church, and I actually was in Colorado from Southern California looking for a job. And, and I was, it was the weirdest thing because for me, uh, the, the kind of thing that I've always had with jobs is I apply for one job, and I get that job, and that's just always the way that it's gone my whole life. Well, as we prayed about and set out in faith to plant this church, I came out here, some people opened their home, they let me stay with them, and I started looking for jobs. And I filled out, I don't even know how many uh, job applications, countless job applications, and I could not get a job. It just wasn't happening. So after two months, I uh, I was ready to just say, you know what, we just need to wait. We just need to put the whole thing on hold and I need to go back. And some well-meaning Christians in that moment, they said, you you know what? You don't need to wait. What you need to do is step out in faith. Just move your family out to Colorado without a job and the Lord will provide. And and what they were telling me to do was, was to step out in faith, but that wouldn't have been faith. You know why? God hadn't told me to do that. If God had said, I want you to go without a job, that'd be one thing. But people saying for me to do that is something totally different. That would have been foolish for me to do such a thing. And so I didn't. We, we didn't. I went back and they said, oh, you just, you just lack faith. No, I just wasn't foolish enough to put my hope in you. I was putting my hope in Jesus instead, right? And then the Lord, two years later, made it all come together, and I didn't even really have to look for a job. The job came to me. It was the craziest thing. Uh, God is uh, able to do this. So here's the big thing. Faith is not a tool I use to get God to do my will. That's not what faith is. Faith is a position of submission that allows me to participate in his will. That's what faith is. So when we get that set, when we get it correct, then you're using faith correctly. You're you're not just trying to get God to do your thing. Instead, faith recognizes that God's already at work and I'm seeking to join him in accomplishing what he's already doing. It's mind-blowing that God would even let you participate, isn't it? That God's at work, he's doing things. He's like, hey, I'd like for you to join me in this work. It's just, God, you know I'm gonna mess it up, right? It's like, yeah, I, I get it. You know, it's like, have you ever had your kids help you do something? Maybe when they're younger, you know, maybe you have older kids and you're like, they're better than me at things now. But, you know, you have younger kids, you got like a six-year-old kid or, or, or whatever, and they're like, I want to help you paint. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to go well, you know. And so you kind of just figure out a way for them to sort of participate. But they're not helping you, right? They're not making it easier. They're not making it better. They're not, a. it's like, wow, you did that whole wall. That's amazing. I don't, now I don't have to do that. That's just not going to happen. You're the five-year-old helping the Lord, right? Like you're just making it worse, but he's so kind and gracious to let you participate that he allows you to be a part of his work. What an amazing God we serve. So let's look at this first part together, a conscious faith verses one through three. Uh, Look back at verse one. It says, now it happened in one day, excuse me, not in one day, it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side, but he did not tell his father. Now, chapter 14 comes after chapter 13. I know that's mind-blowing to you, but this is the way that it goes. And these concepts are running together. Chapter 13 and chapter 14 are the same scenario. It's just a continuation. When it says it happened one day, this isn't some one day in the distant future. This is the exact same scenario. And essentially chapter 13 ends with Israel in a very desperate situation. That Jonathan attacks one of the Garrisons. Uh, <laughs> I tried to match Garrison and Philistine together in one word. You ever have, preachers make up words all the time. That's terrible. Anyway, so Jonathan goes and attacks one of the garrison of the Philistines. And then the Philistines say, that's not good. We're just going to crush you. And so they they get an insurmountable army. The Philistines outmatch them. They outnumber Israel. They have greater technology. They have greater weaponry. Essentially, Israel is in an absolutely hopeless situation. That's what's taking place in uh, chapter 13, the way that it ends. And then it says, one day... Uh, that, that Jonathan is uh, doing something. What's happening? Well, Jonathan is thinking about this and he's bothered by it. He's bothered by the hopeless situation. He's bothered that God's people are being oppressed and he's just mulling it over and he's thinking it shouldn't 
be this way. And I, I wonder, what was he thinking about? What was on his mind? What was going through his head? What kind of Old Testament stories and, and analogies or verses were floating through the mind of Jonathan? And I bet you one of them was maybe the guy Shamgar. You ever heard of Shamgar? You know who that guy is? If you've been through uh, Judges uh, recently, then you would remember this guy Shamgar. Shamgar gets one verse in the whole Bible. It's Judges chapter 3, verse 31. It says this, after Ehud... Shamgar, the son of Anath, rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And I bet you he was thinking about this. I bet you this was on Jonathan's mind because this is the exact kind of situation that Jonathan was in. Do you remember the way that chapter 13 closed? That there was, that there were, there was no steel or uh, metal being used, no iron being used in the, the Israeli people. They didn't have weapons. All they had was their, their farming tools. An ox goat is literally a pointy stick. It's a, you poke the ox and it moves. That's what, that's, it's, it's a pointy stick. And Shamgar killed 600 dudes with a pointy stick. Like, this is... Marvel Comics superhero level stuff going on. Like what is happening with this guy? And so he reads about Shamgar. Maybe Shamgar's in his mind and he says, man, if he could kill 600 guys with a pointy stick, well, what could God do with me? Or maybe, maybe Jonathan was thinking of Leviticus 26, six through eight. It says this, I will give you peace in the land and you will be able to sleep with no cause for fear. I will rid the land of wild animals and keep your enemies out of your land. In fact, you will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with your swords. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred will chase 10,000. All your enemies will fall beneath your sword. Uh, this is a promise from God about when the people take the land and now Jonathan is in the land. This is one of the promises that God has given Jonathan and Jonathan's saying, I want to live in that promise. I want to take hold of that promise and live it out in my life practically. You see, in these situations, we tend to think, why would God use me? I mean, this is crazy, this is wild, this is insane. Why in the world would God use me? But Jonathan had the mentality and the kind of faith that I think you and I need to have. Why wouldn't God use me? Why not me? Why would, why would God not choose to use me? Is it, can I set myself up in a position to where God would be willing to use me? Well, look at verse four, it says this. Um, uh, actually, uh, two, uh, verse two, it says this. Uh, and Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron or Migron. Now, here's something that's taking place. I don't know if you saw this when we read through it the first time, or maybe you're seeing it now. There's a really big contrast happening between these two guys. Jonathan's like, what's God gonna do? And Saul is eating pomegranates. Just sitting in the shade. He's probably got that red stuff all over his face, you know, and just trying to figure out what's going on with these pomegranates. That's really his big worry. These, two, these are two very different kinds of men. Saul is sitting in the shade waiting for God to do something. Jonathan is out moving forward looking for what God could want to do. These are very different mentalities. And a lot of times when we are posed with impossible situations, when we're posed with difficulties, we sit and wait for God to do something. When in fact, what God is inviting us into is moving and testing the waters to see what could God want to do? Where would God want to move? While Saul sits in the shade eating pomegranates, Jonathan goes on a recon mission to see what God might want to do. Verse four says this, between the passes uh, by which Jonathan sought to go over, there's a couple of rocks, they're sharp and they stick up and they're, they're going through here. Essentially what this is talking about is that there's a narrow pass that he had to go through. It's a, it's a strategic military position that would be used uh, later on in, in not only in Israel's history, but also just, just history. Uh, but essentially what happens here is that Jonathan in verse six says something really amazing. Notice what he says. It says, Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for, us, work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. 
You see, the Philistines are camped in a natural fortress made by cliffs. And that's kind of what this geography is telling us about this area. There's a natural fortress where they're encamped uh, in, in the cliffs area. And Jonathan asks, he says two key things that give us insight into his mentality there in verse six. He says the first thing, it may be, it may be. See that there in verse six? This is like saying, what if? Now, when you say what if, and when I say what if, typically we say, what if I die? What if it all goes bad? What if everything explodes? What if everything's, what if everything, what if they don't like me? What if, the, you know, whatever. The what if that we tend to think of is slanted toward the negative, but this is a totally different what if. What if God just wants to rescue Israel and we get to move forward with this? What if that's what's taking place? It's this bold, courageous, not waiting for all the circumstances to line up and to be perfect and, you know, the sun's shining the right way and then he just sees a deer cross his path and say, go this way, Jonathan. You know, he's not waiting for all that. He's just saying, what if God wants to do something? It's not too hard for God or, or you know, that, that we're just going to step out in faith. And then the second thing that he says is nothing restrains the Lord. This is like saying it's just not too hard for God. It's too hard for me for sure. They got an army that's bigger uh, than we can even count. And I'm, me and, you know, two guys are going to go up and take them all on. This is insane. But Jonathan knew something. He knew that God plus one equals a majority. Right? It doesn't matter how big they are. I, I don't care if they're outnumbered uh, 10 to 1, if they're outnumbered 100 to 1, or if they're outnumbered a million to 1. He knows if I'm fighting with the Lord, if this is what God wants to do, and I go with him, I'm on the majority. I'm on the winning team. That's just the way that it goes. And so this is, this is his mentality. David Guzik says it like this. God doesn't need a great number of people to do a spectacular work. Nothing restrains God by saving by many or by few. Do you know what restrains the Lord? Our unbelief. Now, it's not that our unbelief restrains God's power. God isn't any less powerful because we don't believe. Uh, what, is, what it does is sometimes God allows our unbelief to restrain his will because God is looking for willing partners on this earth who will work with him in the accomplishing of his will. God, not, not only does God want to use you, but he wants you to be willing in that work. And so when you're unwilling, it restrains the will of God accomplished through you. God's still going to get the work done. You just don't get to participate. That's the thing that takes place. Now, Jonathan, he takes a step of faith there in verse 7. And uh, notice what his armor bearer says. His armor bearer says to him, you're crazy, bro. I'm not going. Isn't that what you would have said? <laughs> like, you got this Jonathan in your life. He's like, let's just go see what God might do. And you're like, you lost your mind. But that's not what the armor bearer says. The armor bearer says, I'm with you, I'm behind you, I'm, I'm completely in line with what you're wanting to do. This man's faith is equal to or greater than Jonathan's. He's just as faithful as, uh, as, um, uh, as Jonathan is. You see, God's gonna call you into crazy things, but he's probably not gonna call you alone. Jonathan wasn't called alone. Someone was just, just as crazy as him, willing to jump out and to go see what God might do. Not only do we see a conscious faith, he's thinking, he's engaged, but we also see a courageous faith in verses 8 through 15. Look at verse 8, it says this, Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up to them for the Lord has delivered them into our hand. This is, this is pretty crazy. So Jonathan's military tactic is we're going to purposefully expose ourselves to the enemy. This is insane, right? Like you just don't do this, this stuff. You want to hide by cover of night and sneak in and, you know, try to dismantle them that way, I guess, if you're going to try to do something. But just exposing yourself in the middle of the day, that's just a crazy idea. And here's what's taking place. Jonathan didn't receive any specific word from God. He had the general principles of God's word that, that God had said to him, I want you guys to take the land. I will be with you. Uh, you'll be able, just like we read in Leviticus earlier, but he hadn't received some sort of direct unction from God. Jonathan, I want you to go in this way to attack this garrison. He hadn't received that. And so what does he do? He wisely tests the waters. 
He doesn't just presume that God's going to do something. He says, you know what? I'm going to give room and opportunity for God to confirm his will and direct my path. That's what I'm going to do. And many people make the mistake of trying to use so-called faith to bend God's will to conform to ours. That, that I have this thing that I want to do. I have this place that I want to go. I have this stuff that I want to buy or whatever it is. And so I want to try to shove God's will to become mine. And so we try to strong arm God with faith. But here's the thing. That's not what faith does. Faith doesn't try to bend God's will into our will. Faith aligns itself under the will of God. That God's will is already present and I'm going to align myself under his will. That's, that's what faith does. And this is very different from maybe if you remember in Judges chapter 6, Gideon putting out a fleece before the Lord. This is a, a thing that you commonly hear, commonly hear within Christianity. Hey, let's put out a fleece before the Lord and see what he does. And you, you remember Judges chapter 6, Gideon puts out a fleece and he says, okay, God, I'm going to go to bed and uh, tonight I want the fleece to be wet and the ground around it to be dry. And so he wakes up in the morning and it happens. And he wrings out a whole bowl of water out of the fleece. And he says, okay, God, just to make sure it wasn't a weird fluke, let's reverse it. Fleece dry, ground wet. And he wakes up the next morning and, and it is. And so he's like, all right, I know God's behind me. Now, this might seem like a, uh, a wise thing to do before God. But here's the thing. The difference between what Jonathan's doing and what Gideon was doing, God had already told Gideon what to do. God had already given Gideon clear direction. Gideon putting out a fleece before the Lord was faithlessness. It wasn't, it wasn't making sure that he knew what God wanted. He just was so scared he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do what God had called him to do. Jonathan, on the other hand, he hasn't received any specific direction from God. And so instead of just forging ahead and saying, God, you've got to do it. I just, God's going to provide for me, so I'm just going to go do something dumb. Well, uh, maybe you should ask the Lord if this is really the direction he wants you to go. And so he puts this out before the Lord, giving God the opportunity to change his path. And in verse 11, it says, So both of them showed themselves at the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden. And so the men of the garrison call out to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us. And notice, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, verse 12, um, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. He knows by the way that they respond, because he puts out these very simple ways of understanding that because they called them up, which is a silly idea uh, to do in the first place, that, uh, that this was God giving them over into their hands. Now, Jonathan's faith, it's powerful because here's what it does. It goes beyond being conceptual and it dares to actually be practical. See, right here in this moment is where Jonathan's faith is put in the Lord. God's going God's to deliver us, deliver them into our hands. But notice what happens in verse 13, the very next verse. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. So he has, this, he has this moment of saying, God is going to do something. God is going to work. And then what, is, what does Jonathan then do? He goes to work. He has to climb up on his hands and knees. Now think about this for a moment. I don't know what the last time you went hiking was, uh, but it's, it's you know, getting warmer. I'm sure the hiking is on your horizon in, in the near future, something like that. But if you've got to get down on your hands in order to hike, it's probably steep, right? You're, you don't just crawl on the floor. That's not what it's talking about, okay? He was, he was climbing up such a steep incline that he, he was against the rocks, scaling the side of this, this cliff is essentially what's taking place, that he's climbing up in this way. It's kind of a, a crazy thing that's taking place. Jonathan gets confirmation from God that he wants to deliver them, and then he gets into action. You see, faith must be coupled with willingness to work. It's not just, God, you're going to do it, but God, you're going to do it as I do it. That the way that God works in faith is that his, uh, he empowers you as you go. That's the way that God moves in our lives. And so as Jonathan moves, as Jonathan climbs, this is where God begins to go to work on his behalf in these supernatural ways. Uh, he could have prayed at that moment, hey, oh, the Lord is for us. God, send fire from heaven and consume all the bad guys up there. But he didn't do that. Instead, he starts climbing up the side of the, of the mountain. You see, genuine faith in God is always coupled with genuine work for God. Faith is inseparable from work. 
There's, there isn't, you can't separate these ideas. Doesn't James talk about this in chapter 2, verse 18? Now, someone will argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. James isn't, he's not saying that uh, faith alone isn't enough to save you. What he's saying is that faith that doesn't work isn't real faith. That there's, work isn't something that you do to get into salvation, that you get into God's grace. It's the result of being in God's grace. If you have received salvation, if you have believed that Jesus has died for your sins in order to pay the price for you and to adopt you into his family, you're gonna do some stuff. It's just, it's just gonna come out of you. You won't be able to stop it. The grace of God doesn't just flow into you. The grace of God flows through you as well. You weren't meant to be a reservoir to hold the grace of God. You were meant to be a conduit that God's grace can flow through, that God's life can flow through, that God's love flows into you and through you to other people. That's how God works in, in our lives. And so if, if we're going to have faith in God, if it's genuine faith, if it's real faith, it'll always result in work. It'll always result in doing something. Look at verse 14, it says this. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. So they scale the side of this mountain, they get to the top, and then Jonathan just rushes ahead and the guys are falling down. I don't know if he's taking a first blow at them or whatever, or, you know, chopping their knees off. or I don't know what's going on, but it's probably a bloody mess, right? Because they're on the ground and the armor bearer comes along and is killing the bad guy. Like if you have a 10-year-old boy, read him this section of scripture. <laughs> he's going to love it. Like this is, they're, they're just going after what is, they're, the enemy and they are dismantling the enemy and they took on 20 guys single-handedly and just completely annihilated them. But look at verse 15, what happens. And there was trembling in the camp in the field and among the uh, people, the garrison and all the raiders also trembled and the earthquake so, uh, so that it was a very great trembling. As Jonathan not only climbed up to the top, but also forged ahead into the battle, that's when God moved. That's when God came through. Those guys didn't fall down dead because Jonathan was climbing a mountain. Those guys didn't fall down dead because he got to the top and stood there. Those guys didn't fall down dead because he started walking toward them. He actually had to go into the battle. And as he went into the fight, that's where the victory was won. Because faith works. A faith that works is a faith that works. You can say it that way. So uh, in this, we see that in chapter 13, Saul failed miserably. Do you remember in chapter 13, verse um, 13, it says this, that, and Samuel said, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God, uh, of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now it's being removed. That's what God said to, to uh, Saul in chapter 13. And here in chapter 14, what's happening? Saul's son is being used greatly by God. You see, consequences of Saul's failure would cost his family. And it would cost Jonathan. But here's the, the truth. Here's the reality that um, even in the middle of this, God still tremendously uses Jonathan. And maybe that concept resonates with you. Because there's damaging failure in your life. You look at just the things that have happened in your life, the ways you've gone, the temptations you've succumbed to, and you just look at damaging failure in your life. And, and, and it's cost you and maybe your kids or those around you. Or maybe, maybe your parents failed real big. That, that there's just massive sin in your parents' life. And you think, well, how could God use me? Let Jonathan be an example to you. Let Jonathan be a one to call you into faith in the Lord. That God is bigger than all of this. God still is a God of restoration and rebuilding and, and doing the impossible. God still uses Jonathan. His grace is bigger than Saul's failure. God's grace was big enough to overcome even that. You see, the secret to Jonathan's success is simple. Jonathan uh, is a man of, uh, of uh, I want to point out three things that, that we see in Jonathan here in this. He's a man of faith. He genuinely trusted God above all else. He, I mean, you can't see anything other than that. If you're willing to go take on an entire garrison by yourself, 
you're either absolutely crazy or you trust the Lord, or maybe a little of both, right? He's, he trusts the Lord. His faith is in God. He knows that God can do anything. He's a man of faith. And this is the secret to his success. But not only that, he's also a man of, number two, responsibility. He refused to pass blame. Well, if only my dad was here, if only he would take responsibility for what he was supposed to do, if only I had more troops and those guys, they all abandoned me, they deserted me. I had a thousand men last chapter. Now this chapter, it's just me and one dude. You know, like what's going, all the, I just, he refused to pass blame. He refused to be the victim. Instead, he took responsibility. That was the major key to his success. And thirdly, he was a man of action. He's a man of action. More than just a feeling, more than just theoretically God could save, he actually goes into action to do it. You see, Jonathan's action was, went, was met with God's action. When Jonathan did what he could do, then God met him there doing what only God could do. God will absolutely do the miraculous stuff that only he can do, but, but, he will not do the things for you that you can do. Don't expect God to do the things for you that you can do. If you can do it, then, then you should do it. It's vital that you do what you can do and not stop and sit. That's what Saul's doing. He's just sitting there. He's doing nothing. He's just feeding himself and taking a siesta. That's all that's on Saul's mind. And because that's all that's on his mind, God's not using that guy. God's not moving forward with that guy. It's vital that we do what we can do. Thirdly and finally, a conscious faith, a courageous faith, and we see in verses 16 through 23, a contagious faith. Verse 16 says this, Now the watchmen of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. So the earthquake happens, right? And then uh, the, the people of the garrison of the Philistines they're like, they're freaked out. And, and, but then that same earthquake also gets the attention of Saul and his guys. And they're looking up on this hill and they see that there's chaos. There's just, there's dudes running all over the place. And it looks like the army's literally just melting away. They're just less and less of, of the, the Philistines uh, as they're disappearing, as this chaos is going. And it's clear that there's a battle going on. And it's even clear that part of, the, of Saul's forces are attacking. See that in verse 17? It says, then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see who's gone out from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Now, I think it's surprising on one hand that they weren't there, but it's also probably not surprising in another way because just the chapter before, he did the same thing. He went off by himself and attacked the Philistines. So there's a, a sense in which it's, it shouldn't have been surprising, but there's another sense in which, man, what is going on? You see, there's a battle that's happening. It's even clear that part of, the, of Saul's forces are, are there. And so what does Saul do? He says, let's call roll. Okay, so remember, Saul's got 600 guys. How long do you think that's going to take? It's not going to be like five minutes, right? This is going to take some time to figure out who's missing. And so they decide to call roll. What in the world is going on? Why does it even matter? I feel like grabbing Saul and just shaking him. What are you doing? Like if there's ever a sign, God, give me a sign. Would you like me to do something? This is it, bro. Get going. It's time to get in the fight, right? The, it's, it's happening right now, and you're just sitting around going, well, who's missing, guys? Can we just, can we call roll real quick and just make sure we have, what is happening? Like, bro, let's get going right now. Uh, and, and essentially, what's going, what's taking place is he's more concerned with his reputation and who's going to get credit than he is with winning the battle. Hey, figure out who's, who's missing. Oh, it's my son. Gosh, I can't discipline him. Okay, well, we got to figure out what to do now. In verse 18, then he says, Then uh, Saul said to uh, Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. So apparently the ark of the Lord was there. That's the, the box overlaid with gold with the two angels on top. It would have uh, the elements of God in, inside of it. And so they, he says, let's do that. And so basically what he wants to do is he wants to take the ark of God into battle as the magic good luck charm in order to win the battle. If you were with us earlier in 1 Samuel, you realize that doesn't work. Uh, they lost it before. Uh, and so this is his plan once again. And so he says, let's bring, uh, bring out the uh, ark. Uh, and, and essentially what this is like saying, it's like saying, hey, you know what? Let's have a prayer meeting. 
Let's worship the Lord. Let's just, you know, let's, let's, let's worship the Lord. We'll have a prayer meeting and we'll, we'll find out what God wants to do. It sounds very spiritual. But again, he's already wasted time calling roll. And now he's, like, he's saying, well, let, you know, let's do, a, let's do some spiritual stuff because I just really want to sound like uh, I'm a spiritual guy. You see, there's a right time to pray and there's a right time to act. There's a, there's a, a situ, not every situation requires sitting down and praying about it, right? Like if someone breaks into my house at 2 a.m., I'm not going to say, Micah, let's pray and see what the Lord would have us do. Me and, me and Mossberg, my 12-gauge, are going to go handle the situation. Like, that's what's going to take place. It's just, there's no decision. There's no praying. It's time to act. This is that moment for Saul. It's time to get in the fight. You've been, if you wanted to pray, bro, you had tons of time to do that sitting under the pomegranate tree. Why do you want to do it now? Because he just doesn't want to act. And so God is pushing him into this. God's calling him into this. You see, getting these wrong can have devastating consequences. If you fight when you should pray, you're going to make a big mess, right? You're just going to make a big problem. You're going to cause a huge mess. But if you pray when you should fight, you're going to miss a huge blessing. And that's what Saul's doing. Saul's missing out on the blessing of being able to be used by the Lord to move forward. Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary, Be Successful, uh, this. He says, Saul is a tragic example of the popular man of the world who tries to appear religious and do God's work, but who lacks a living faith in God and a heart to honor him. Unfortunately, church history records the lives of too many gifted people who used God to achieve their own purposes, but in the end, abandoned him and ended life in disgrace. This is where Saul is at. It sounds spiritual, it sounds holy, it sounds like the right things to do, but it's really, it's really not. Verse 19, um, or actually, uh, yeah. Uh, verse 19, now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Earlier we saw in verse three, he was, the priest was wearing an ephod. The ephod is like a, it's like a vest that would have uh, the, this breastplate in it. And uh, inside the breastplate was something called the urim and the thummim, uh, which means the lights and the darkness. Think of it kind of like the priest was a magic eight ball and you would ask God questions. That's kind of what it is, okay? And then he would like reach in and most theologians think that there were like light colored rocks and dark colored rocks that would mean yes or no. And the priest would reach in and pull out the rocks and figure out what God wanted to do. But it's sort of that, okay? So I don't know if they shook him or how it worked, but <laughs> he's a magic eight ball, okay? And so the priest has, has his hand in there because Saul's like, do I, go to, do I go to battle God? And the priest has his hand in there and then Saul hears, it's getting worse. Jonathan's winning more. I gotta go. Forget it. Forget it. We're just not gonna do the, the, the holy thing anymore, the spiritual thing. We're just gonna get into the fight. Finally, he gets into the action and, his, uh, you know, and gets going. Essentially, his insecurities and false holiness held him back and, and, that, and that's really what's taking place with Saul. Now this section, the last four verses here, verses 20 through 23, they conclude with four different types of people, okay? So we're just gonna wrap up just pointing out these four different types of people that are in the, the end of this, this section. And we're gonna see how Jonathan's faith actually becomes contagious to everybody else. Verse 20 is the first group. It says this, Then Saul and the people who were with him assembled, and they went to battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. So here's the first group of people, the hesitators, right? This is Saul and his, uh, what is it, 598 guys, right? Because there were 600 minus Jonathan and his armor bearer. So these guys, they're just sitting around, waiting, hesitating, doing nothing. Uh, these guys, they weren't willing to join the fight until it looked like Jonathan is winning single-handedly. Here's how David Guzik says it. God wants us to have the boldly trusting heart that Jonathan had. And friends, we are very far from a bold trust in God when we only step out and do what seems to be a sure thing. Can I tell you that if you're not doing things for the Lord that have the potential to totally blow up in your face and make you look foolish then you're not stepping out in faith very much. That's what a, a step of faith looks like. A step of faith is not a sure thing. There's no faith in a sure thing. There, there isn't any. 
And so if it's got the potential to totally blow up and you're, well, that guy's a dummy, then that's where you're trusting in the Lord. Does that make sense? Saul sitting back and waiting, the men sitting back and waiting and saying, well, now that Jonathan's destroying an entire garrison by himself, I guess we'll go and go in. That's not faith. That's hesitation. And that, the Lord doesn't bless that. The Lord isn't going to bless them for this thing. Now, also we see here in verse 20, sort of a, an aside commentary that every man's sword was against his neighbor. This isn't the people of Israel. This is, this is how God was sending confusion against the Philistines. So as Jonathan is moving ahead, God sends a cloud of confusion over the Philistines and they start fighting each other. They're, they're killing one another is what's happening. It's, it's total chaos and pandemonium. God is moving in these tremendous ways. So not only, number one, the hesitators, but number two, the defectors. Look at verse 21. Uh, Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined Israel. So apparently when the Philistines showed up, there were a number of Israelites that said, we're gonna lose. I'd rather not die. I'm gonna join the enemy. Right, so they shifted sides. They defected. They went to the other side uh, of, of the army. They ran away. Um, excuse me, they, they flipped sides to fight for the Philistines. Now, here's what we can do. We can actually let the world influence us this way, can't we? You get into those situations, those, those times when it's, you know, it's just not cool to be a Christian. It's not, it's not awesome to, to say things about the Lord. And you get in these situations and scenarios where there's social pressure to be or do or say. Or uh, Here's an example. Micah and I were down uh, in uh, Cabo last, uh, last week at, at this uh, um, uh, sort of like a, a work trip. It looked more like a vacation, I'm sure, to you than a work trip. But we were down there. Most of the people were drinking very much alcohol, like lots of alcohol. Uh, and we, we had water and Diet Coke. That's what we had. And I did not put those together. No, I just had them separate. So that's what we had. That's all, that's all we had to drink. And, and there were a, a bunch of other Christians who were there who they were, I guess, emboldened to live out their faith a little bit more courageously and not join in with the drunkenness because there was somebody else there that wasn't doing it. You see, there's social pressure to get you to be or do something. And when you do, you're like the defector. We flip sides, don't we? We, we feel this pressure to be something that we're, that we're not or to fit in with the world. And when we do, we become the defectors. But they came back. They came back, praise the Lord. Verse 22, likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they uh, heard that the Philistines had fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. We have the deserters. Right? Remember chapter 13, verse 6? That there, some of them just literally ran away and hid in the holes in the mountains and went all over the place. For some people, if the work is too hard or the battle is too scary, they just run away. They just leave. They, they just run away. Um, they're unstable. They're undependable. They're, their lives are governed by fear. They're just, they're just waiting for something else to erupt. So that's the, the deserters. But the fourth category are the courageous. Look at verse 23. And the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle uh, shifted to Beth-Avon. Here's a question. Who did the Lord save Israel through? Was it Saul? Was it Saul's men? Was it all these other guys who, who showed up coming out of, the, out of the rocks, the defectors that flipped sides? No, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer. It was Jonathan and his armor bearer. They were the ones who were the courageous they were the ones who had the faith that was contagious enough to recruit the hesitators, to recruit the defectors, to recruit the deserters. That they were, their faith was so strong that others saw them and wanted to join in the fight as well. Now, it's terrible that these people weren't in the fight already, but it's better late than never, isn't it? It's better late than never. Maybe you're, maybe you're feeling that way right now. Like you're out of the fight and you, you hear that and you feel this sense of condemnation. Just know there's no condemnation in the Lord. That God, doesn't, that God doesn't bring condemnation upon you, but he will bring conviction on you to get you out of that category, to get you out of hesitation, to get you out of defecting, to get you out of deserting and get you back into the fight. God will absolutely do that. So don't mistake condemnation and the conviction of God. 
that God wants to use your life. He wants to bring you in. You see, faith rightly orients our hearts and minds to recognize where God is at work, and it gives us the courage to join him in what he's already doing. We spend far too much time trying to get God to do our thing and get God to bless our thing. And our attitude to get God to do that turns God into a pinata. We just try to hit him and get the good stuff to come out. Prayer's the stick we use to get the good stuff to fall out of God. Or we turn God into our butler. Hey God, I asked you for some stuff. Go get me my things. That's not faith. That's not how faith works. That's not what faith is for. The Lord saved Israel, verse 23. You see, Jesus is the hero of this story. Jesus is the one who's at the helm. Saul is not the hero of the story. Israel's army isn't the hero of the story. Jonathan and his armor bearer are not the hero of the story. Verse 23, the Lord saved Israel. Jonathan didn't do something spectacular. All he did was be crazy enough to actually trust God. That's all he did. And God came through. You see, the work of Jesus is, number one, first, to save you from sin and death. This is the work that Jesus has done for you. That when he went to the cross, when he died, when his blood was spilled, he did that to save you from sin and death. But his work continues on. Secondly, he works to give you purpose and direction to set your life in the right order, to set, your, set things oriented the right, right way. So here's the question. Who are you? When you think about the characters of, of this first half of of First uh, Samuel 14. Who are you? Are you, are you Jonathan? You're like ready to go. God, what do you want to do? God, what, what, is, what is out there to get accomplished? I'm ready to move. Are you a Jonathan? Maybe you're thinking, man, Jonathan, that's a cool guy, but I'm just, I'm not a Jonathan. Well, can you be an armor bearer? Can you find a Jonathan and support that Jonathan? Can you get behind and say, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll jump in with you. Maybe I don't necessarily get a sense of what God's doing, but I'll help you. Maybe, maybe you can be an armor bearer. Or maybe, maybe for you, you're, you're a defector. You've, you've, left, you've left the faith. You've left the church. You've left the Lord. You've left your first love. Let me tell you, right now is the right time to come back. Right now is the right. God is, God is waiting for you with open arms. He's not looking to to smash you and destroy you. He's looking to welcome you back as a child. Or maybe you're a, maybe you're a deserter and you've kind of wandered away and you know, you're, you're in that spot. Or maybe you're like Saul. You just, you're trying to play the religious game, but you're really not all in with the Lord. Let, let me say that no matter where you're at, no matter who you identify with, identify with, it's time to take a step of faith. That's what time it is. It's time to move forward in the things of the Lord. That's what God is calling you into. And so I just want to encourage you with this. What is God pressing upon you to take a step of faith in? Where is he trying to lead you? Because the miracle stuff that God wants to do, that God is already at work doing, you can either participate in it or God's going to get it done anyway. But you miss the blessing if you don't participate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for the opportunity to open it. God, we pray that you would help us to trust you and to hope in you in faith. Would you be glorified? Would you be exalted? Would you be lifted up? And help us to courageously follow hard after you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.